0: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I took my LSD. Oh, never mind. (laughs) Recorded live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, a service of the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website, and welcome to the May 13th, the Friday the 13th edition, of uh, Black Science Fiction Radio. My name is William Hayash. I'll be your host for tonight. And our special guest is actually someone who lives in the same town that I do who I've never met. Please welcome uh, Jessica Cage. How are you tonight?
1: I'm great. Thank you guys for having me on the show.
0: Oh, it's our pleasure. By the way, it's raining over by me. How about by you?
1: Uh, We have a little bit of a drizzle. I'm kind of outside of the city, so it hasn't really reached us yet.
0: Oh, so where, if I can be so bold as to ask, where where what part of the area do you live in?
1: I'm like two steps out of Chicago in Blue Island. Back oh, across yeah, I can cross the street and technically be right back there, yeah.
0: Okay. No, I know where Blue Island is well. Um I, I'm right now I'm a transplanted north sider. I grew up on the south side.
1: Oh.
0: Uh, mhm. <laughs> have um, a lot of and, friends and, who are in that situation. Yeah. And and did you grow up here? It says born and yes. raised, but, you know.
1: Yes, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. And then we moved a little bit further south and then just a tad bit further south. And now I'm in Blue Island.
0: Okay. Well, at least you're not as far south as the Elvis Museum or anything like that. Um, there are some oh. people who live so far outside the city. And then they have the nerve to call themselves Chicagoans. So this is, yes. this is different. <laughs> Um, and, and 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 so you know as as uh well like when you were like in elementary school did you go to one of Chicago's public schools or private school here in Chicago or were you already further out than that?
1: Oh no, I went to Garrett A. Morgan, the mm-hmm. public school. My entire family went down, went there up until my very last brother. He's the youngest of the family and that's when we moved away from the area. Um and then from there I went to Morgan Park, which is another uh oh, yeah. public school in the yeah. Very popular <laughs> high school. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I was in public, I, I, never private.
0: Yeah, I, I stuck around the High Park area. I went to like Ray School and then I went to Kenwood. Um and so you know, that's that was it and then I left town after that. I would had enough. Mm, okay. <laughs> um, now you know, as a writer, and and that's just to let people know that you are a writer. Um, and for yes. those of you who want to look at uh, Jessica's website, um, she's uh, actually she's got a Wix site, and so she's writergirl25. Com slash jessica dash cage dash author and that's where you can take a look at her uh website and according to your website you are a, are a paranormal author from Chicago um yeah. what you know is is this an interesting or is this an interest that that you picked up growing up or is it uh is it is it something that you kind of grew into um you know where where did that interest come from
1: um well Growing up, I had a grandmother who was one of the original book women. She had a wall of books, like total addict, like she would read a book a day. That's how much my grandmother read. And Mm -hmm. that's where my love for books came from. I wanted to write. I wanted to get these little stories out of my head. But um, growing up, my mother was and still is to this day a big sci-fi fanatic um, and paranormal. Anything of that's not natural, or as my grandmother say, not of this world, my mother was into. And we would have sci-fi Saturdays where we would just buy. She would come home with like just a bunch of food, pizza and chips, and you know any you know, kids' dream, okay, of a meal, and we would turn on the sci-fi movies. She had DVDs or back then, VHS, which makes me feel so old. But (laughs) we had tapes, and, you know, the sci-fi channel was just, like, still something that was kind of new, so it was just all day long, sci-fi, and... I mean, from there, I just, I was like, oh, my God, this this stuff is interesting. I want to create stuff like this, and the stories started spinning in my head at a very young age, and I would start blending the stories I read from my grandmother's books that my mother did not want me to read with, you know, the paranormal, fantasy, you know, sci-fi aspects, and that's my
0: genre now. I'm kind of interested. How, I mean, did you ever find out? What it was about sci-fi that your mother was so hooked on?
1: Um, my mother is a is a dreamer. You know, she okay, sure. she believes in like in something magical is going to happen. So I feel like that's that's where it starts. But you know, she I don't know. I feel like it was it's just the same way for me when I read about vampires and or you know when I write about alien. Um, Takeover. It's something that takes me outside of the real world. And I'm like, you can get that when you watch any movie or read any book, but it's so far from reality, you know what I mean? So you really do get to step away from it and kind of detach it from your real life. And I think that's what my mother did when she would, you know, she's a single mom of three, you know, and uh-huh. as great as she was, that's a tough thing to do. So sometimes it's good to just kind of unload and just kind of step away from what's happening and i feel like that was that was like her therapy in a way she would just kind of sit down and veg out and eat and enjoy and not stress anymore and those some of those moments was like the most relaxed i think i've seen my
0: mother cuz she didn't
1: care about what she was wearing or what she was eating she was just
0: enjoying her time you know mhm and, and so and, and okay so at a very young age you're exposed to all of this um, mm-hmm. you know, what at that time, did you have any particular favorites? You know, whether it was okay, like like a, a lot of people who I've I've interviewed said that Star Wars was like an explosive revelation to them or something like that. Did you, what, was it because you had such a constant exposure to it you didn't have a favorite? Or did you, you know, did you start gravitating so toward Um, You know, a a certain genre or a certain part of science fiction, horror, or fantasy?
1: Um, For me, it was the species and alien uh, series that I loved the most. And I think it was because it was more focused around the women. I mean, you had these strong women. Yeah, they were aliens. Yeah, they were. They had their issues. But I was just like, I want to be strong. You know, in my young mind, it wasn't, oh, I want to be an alien. It's just, I want to be this strong woman who's, like, walking around and, you know, destroying people with a kiss and stuff like that. Like, that was cool to me when I was younger. Um, so those really became my go-to movies when it was like, oh, what what are we going to pick? And, you know, we would rotate between me and my two little brothers who could pick a movie, and they knew when it was my turn I was always, you know, hands down going to say alien or species because that's what I really enjoy watching. And those themes of, like, the female empowerment are in my books to, you know, which I guess it took me a while to kind of realize it was there, but I write about characters who – um they don't start like in the species series. You you see her uh, going from like this innocent little girl and going through all these stages until she's mm-hmm. this beast of a woman. And I feel like that's what I portray when I write. I, I take you through the stages. You don't just come in and it's like this woman who is, you know, strong and powerful and already got it. You kind of have to see her grow into that and know she's not the damsel in distress but she has to figure out how to become, you know, that bad woman that, you know, we all want to be.
0: <laughs> and and then so okay, so you've got you've got kind of this in your mind. You 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 know, you're turned on by the, you know, the strong woman aspect of storytelling. When did that kind of translate into when you started thinking about doing your own story? Uh-oh, looks like she she fell off the grid here. We're going to have to wait. Hopefully, she'll dial in soon. For the rest of you, happy Friday the 13th. I don't know if you believe in that or not believe in that. I stayed out from under all ladders today. Didn't see a black cat all day. I don't know what the other imagery... Oh, didn't break a mirror. Um, so... Uh,
2: Oh, here she comes.
0: Are you back? Hi,
1: I'm back. Sorry about that. (laughs)
0: That's okay. I was talking about Friday the 13th. What are the uh, superstitions? Superstitions. Mm -hmm. Do you have any of those? I mean, is that why your phone went out?
1: (laughs) Quite possibly. Um, I don't really give into superstitions. I mean, I live with a black cat, so um, <laughs> a lot of people would say that that was a bad idea. And I broke a lot of mirrors growing up. But <laughs> so if I if that if any of that stuff is true, I'm I'm in bed safe right now.
0: Well, if it hasn't gotten you so far, you you may you may escape. You know. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> Fingers crossed.
2: <laughs> so anyway,
0: I was I was asking, you know, when when did when did your your love for sci-fi and strong women, horror, fantasy, what all of those um translate into you deciding to write your own stories?
1: Um I've always been creating stories in my mind. Um mm-hmm. I just happened to be reading another one of my grandmother's books and talking to her. You know, and I think I was at that that point in my life where I was the chatty kid, so I would read, and then I would go to my grandmother, and I would start talking about whatever I wrote or read, and then I would spin off into, like, how I would have did the story or, oh, this, you know, when I read this line, I thought about this, and then I would go off on this, you know, complete tangent about, you know, a story that came to my mind, and I think it was in one of those moments that I realized, like, oh, my God, I'm creating these stories myself, and my grandmother kind of like, you should just go write that down. And I feel like that was her saying, like, you know, leave me alone, give me some peace and quiet. <laughs> but that was when I really started, and I just went and grabbed a notebook, and I think it was, like, one of my my cousin's school notebook. I'm, I'm pretty sure I wasn't supposed to be writing in it. But I started right then, and I started writing stories and filling little notebooks up, and I had them all over the place, and I would just write. Um, And it was for me, you know, the only person who read my stuff until I think almost high school, was my grandmother. I didn't, okay. you know. I had one cousin when I was in eighth grade that read some of my stuff, and
0: that was it. Nothing for school.
1: Um, I did a young, I did young authors every year since okay uh, first grade. But that was that was pretty much it. <laughs> I was like in writing, like I took some high school writing classes, and that was when you know the teacher was actually like, you know, this is what you need to be doing. And I started to pursue writing and then I was told by other people like that's not really a good thing for you to do, like, for your future. And I was very just like, Oh, okay, well I I guess I'll go to school for business. So, you know, you the whole circle comes back and I'm like, I shouldn't I should have just went with my passion in the beginning, you know. So here I am now <laughs> finally
0: doing that. Well, um, I'm looking at, uh, I looked at your website. I think I looked at Amazon, too. But um, so far, um, you've knocked out four books.
1: Um, Currently, I have 13 published.
0: Oh, you know what? I didn't hit that arrow. Oh,
1: (laughs) yeah. Look at all all of that. Look at all of that.
0: For those of you who uh, who are listening online now, um, the link to her website is up there. Uh, Jarvis put it in writergirl25.wix.com/jessica-cage-author. Um, and, and so, uh, about when did you? I mean, did you take what you had written down in those notebooks and turn it into a story, or did you actually just start writing something? You know, how to tell us a little bit about the first published work that you did. What was what was the the, the journey?
1: Um, I, the first published uh, work was something I wrote while I was pregnant. Um, I had a high risk pregnancy, which meant staying in the bed for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And during that time I started, this is when I kind of started reflecting about life choices and decisions in my future, because of course, I'm growing this life inside of me and these are the type of things you think of. I have to provide for this child. I have to give him motivation and encouragement. And how am I going to do that? And the question that kept coming to my mind was, you know, how am I going to teach my son that, you know, you have to follow your dreams. You have to do what makes you happy. You know, you can't give up on yourself when it's, I feel like that's what I did. You know, I feel like somebody told me that, you know, writing wasn't going to be the thing for me. And I, you know, I just was like, okay, well, I guess I'm gonna do what makes me money, not what makes me happy. And that's just not what I wanted for my son. And in thinking of that, I started to write again because um, it just kind of took me back to being a little kid and not really wanting to deal with reality. And that's what I would do when things got tough. And I, you know, I was an emotional kid. So whenever I got really emotional, I would just start writing and. I started writing when I was, you know, a month and a half uh, into my pregnancy, um, mm-hmm. and I just kept writing it. And I never really set a goal or anything with it. I just said, this is what I'm going to do. And three months after I gave birth, I started uh, a program called Jobs for Youth, and I shared the work with one of the mentors there. And she encouraged me to, you know, like, this is you did this for a reason, you want to do something to encourage your son, you need to do this. And I just started looking into self-publishing. I never even thought about going the traditional route just because that's the kind of person I am. I want to get into it and learn and do it, you know, and grow with the process. So. And now thinking back, I feel like I did it for my son, but I did it a lot more for me, you know, like mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. needed that. I needed to be able to get up and say, this is what I did, and I'm finally sharing all these stories in my head with everyone else.
0: And and like when you did the first one, um, or, you know, in your process, was it kind of singular? Did you have someone else who was, kind of looking after what you were writing after you wrote it uh how you know because you know there's even even if you are bedridden because of a medical condition you know there's there's still a process that you go through um mm-hmm. can you describe yours a little bit to for everybody
1: um i was very naive with the process of writing <laughs> um i wrote it all myself i let a friend look at it and then i published it and I say, like, oh, okay, I kind of regret that move, but at the same time, I am happy that I did it that way because that's how I met my editor. She was one of the people who um, picked that first book up, and she came to me, and she was like, hey, I love your story. I love your style, but it needs some work. And, you know, it was it was hard to hear that. But it was necessary, you know. It was very necessary to have somebody be real with me because you get a lot of people, oh, God, this is great, and then they walk away and you're like, oh, okay, yay. But nobody was really being real with me, you know, at that point and saying, you know, this is awesome, but you need to do more because I, then I would have kept, you know, putting out work that was flawed. Um, So we started working and we still work together to this day. So.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and now my process is, you know, so many tears to it before anything hits the public eye.
0: Right, right. And and out of these out of these books that you've written, which what, What's the title of the first one that you did?
1: The first one is called Revitalized. It's um, the first of a series. It's called the Hierarch series.
0: It's about okay.
1: Alexa, who is a girl who finds out that she is next in line to be the queen of an alien race of vampires.
0: Uh, I mean it sounds interesting. You know, it's not like um and and when I look at the um when I look at the synopsis here, you know, two years of seclusion has a way of changing you. Well, sure it does, yeah. Um and and what what drew you to write you know a a vampire genre book from the beginning?
1: Um it was when I wrote that book it was around the time where vampires was you know really big and everybody okay. was putting out their different versions of the vampire and to me I think in every other book that I've read so far um a, vampires were just like this mutation or you know um I'm going to say, <laughs> evolvement of the human
0: race. An offshoot or something of, of regular humans.
1: Right. Um, for me, I didn't see it that way. And this kind of brings me back to the days of watching about aliens with my mother. And this book, aliens, um, vampires are aliens, who come here from another uh you know, world, universe, Mm -hmm. because of a darkness that takes over their home. And their queen, who is the High Arc, uses her power to bring them here. And, you know, when Alexa finds out that she's the queen, you know, they find out that darkness is now here, um, and you have to protect us. You know, she's coming into this not knowing that, you know, vampires or aliens or any of this exists. And they're like, okay, not only are you our queen, but <laughs> there's this big evil thing coming that we've been like, you know, running from for thousands of years, and you know, now it's your turn to save us from it.
0: So. And and you know, you said this at the beginning because it was when vampires were. I mean, do you do you see yourself as a, a kind of a commercial writer? You know, where where what you do is you want to. To put together stories and craft tales and series that that at least follow familiar memes, so other people, when they read them, at least part of it is familiar ground, and you don't you know you don't have to do you don't have to explain a whole new wide world or, or, or universe in order to get people to understand what you're writing, or, or are these really you know coming forth from your mind you know as as whole ideas, and maybe it's both I don't know.
1: Um I don't know if I'm if I can say that I'm commercial now. I think back then um with writing that story is you know that was, that was what I was into at that time. So sure. it came to me. Um I think now I am more I write what makes me happy. I write what feels right to me. Not to say that right. that didn't because at the time that that's what made me happy. I was reading about vampires and I kept saying like, well, why is it in every book? This is how vampires are looking. You know, this is what they are to me. It wasn't that. So that's why I wrote it. And I feel mm-hmm. like as long as I stay true to myself, regardless if it, you know, if it gives people, you know, a comfortable place to be or not, I think right. it's, this is what makes me happy. And this is the story I want to
0: share. Okay. Um. All right. So that's the first one. Um, what, other what other kinds of plots did you put together? Um, you know, were they more sci-fi? Were they more horror, fantasy? Um, did you did you what's what's kind of like your mix right now?
1: Right now, I am more fantasy. Um,
0: okay.
1: um And a lot of mythology is coming up in my current works, dealing with you know sirens and. Uh, griffins and things of that nature um the only book that i can say have real things themes of horror is the last stop uh, series which is about a girl named josephine who can she has what they call fight and she sees the spirits of people who have passed and she has to usher them into the uh, the afterlife and there are some some moments in that book that I think people might be a little squimish about, and that might scare them. <laughs> but I feel like that's the only real horror I, I can say. And the the problem that I have when people um, ask me like about genres and everything is that, yeah, okay, this book is paranormal. You know, it has paranormal elements, but it's more character driven. I think mm-hmm. I, I focus a lot more on the characters themselves. Than the fact that they're vampires, or that you know, you obviously you're going to see that because that's what they are. But the storylines, I think, focus much more on the characters themselves. So it's very hard for me to kind of push them into one, you know, niche. Yeah,
0: no, I I could see that. Plus, you know, I think I think writers also evolve. You know, um, if they write long enough, I. I think, well, I see two different kinds of writers. I look at writers from the golden age of science fiction because that's when I got interested in science fiction, um, way back before most of the people who were listening to this were born. Um, and and the thing is, is that, you know, I, I liked series because they kept putting familiar characters in new situations, but I also liked watching someone starts something new to see how they twist it you know like asimov had his robots and his foundation series and and robert Heinlein had his uh <laughs> his fascists and uh i I don't, I don't want to say sex maniacs let's just say uh socially liberated series you know and so people pick different kinds of things to 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 pivot to when they write um so I, w- I was curious about that. It it sounds to me like you're very very comfortable kind of in the fantasy and horror world and and having grown up with so much science fiction I'm wondering did you have uh have you written anything that you might consider uh more strongly science fiction or or even hard sci-fi or or something along that line?
1: Um I haven't published anything like that. I am currently working I I made a vague announcement on my social media a few months back that I will be working on a project that's going to take me about two to three years to complete. Um, Uh And it's it's, it's strongly sci-fi, and um, I think, I mean, I'm definitely, of course, going to be publishing it, but all of my other, you know, super alien or super sci-fi stuff I've never published just because Um, I I guess I didn't feel as confident in it as I did my other work. And, I mean, every writer has that folder on their computer or that notebook on their, you know, shelf that's filled with all these different um, storylines that just didn't go anywhere. And Mm -hmm. the second series that I planned to publish was about elementals, and it was highly sci-fi, but I just – I don't know, I feel like it just wasn't really there for me, you know. And I love the storyline, and I kept it, and I still to this day will go back to it and reread those first few chapters that I wrote. And it's like one of these days (laughs) I know, like, I'm going to pick this up, and I'm just going to be like, yes, this is it. Because I feel, I'm like, I really love the idea and the concept of the story, but I feel like at that point I wasn't in a place to really write it the way it should be. And I'm very... I'm very, like, I like to be connected to my stories. Everyone always asks, what's your process? How do you do it? And I am the type that I I need to fill it. You know, I need to be able to close my eyes and see it, and I need to be in the story. I don't I mean, I, I can't plot on paper. I can't, at least not in the beginning. Like, when it goes back to doing, like, revisions and stuff like that, of course you have to do some tidying up. But when I'm writing that first draft i like to feel like a kid just watching a movie or you know what like i'm just sitting there and i'm watching it happening i don't want to plot it out and that story when i first started writing it it was just happening it was happening and i don't know what happened in my world or you know with the story but it just kind of stopped and now every time i pick it up and i read it i'm like i just really want to write this story and it's just not quite there for me yet so mm-hmm. i had to move on you know um but sci-fi is just like I said. It's from it's from when I was. I still write little short stories that I keep to myself, and that's just because it's something I like. But I feel like that's not my strongest work, so I just don't want to put it out for the world to see quite yet.
0: Is writing cathartic for you?
1: It is absolutely. Um, when I don't feel like I'm under a deadline or anything, yes. Um, at the end of the day, like, and I still love to write with pen and paper. That, to me, is, like, the best thing. I mean, I love my computer. I love my tablet. But to pick up a notebook and a pen and just sit with a glass of wine and maybe a candle, that is, like, the best thing for me. You know, that's when I'm I'm really in my zone. And I feel just kind of at one <laughs> with, like, the world, you know, kind of be corny. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I've always I always love to write, and I feel like because it was that for me when I was younger, it still is today.
0: So, um, let's let's talk a little bit about process because it. I mean, obviously you have you have a, a method that works real well for you, and you know I admire you for being able to do it in a notebook. You know to write in a notebook. I can't do that anymore. I don't know if it's because I'm too old, or um, I think part of it is. For me, if I write it down like that, and then I have to go and enter it into the computer, then I'm doing double work
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, i I don't know you know that but that's just me I mean obviously everybody has their own their own process but when when you're creating a story or when you have an idea for a story, where do you start? Do you start with with creating your your you know putting together your creative universe first? Or and and I'm talking about like at the beginning of a series. Obviously, if you're in the second, third, fourth volume of a series, you've already got the universe created. But or or do you go ahead and do you, do you kind of formulate a character in your mind and then think about you know then you you think about how that character is going to do whatever is they're they're going to do up against the the world they live in.
1: Um, when I first start out with the character um I just see the character. I'm very visual. So,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, for instance, with my Siren series, I happen to be having a conversation with a couple of the authors about how there weren't a lot of stories about mermaids. And I really loved Little Mermaid growing up. Like, that was one of my favorite, you know, shows, whatever. Um, and I come home, and I'm just like, oh, that was an interesting conversation. And as I'm laid down, I get this vision in my head, and I'm like, oh, you know, this is nice, This is, you know, but it's, it's, it just felt like, you know, Little Mermaid all grown up. But, and I went to sleep, and when I woke up the next morning, I had this character just kind of in my head like, hey, I'm here, write me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how it starts. That's how it always starts. It always starts with like an image, and then it, it goes from there. I've been on the trains, and I wrote a blog about this a while ago, um not that long a couple weeks ago about how when I'm on the train I'm inspired because I'll get like a flicker in the corner of my eye of something I'm like oh what was that and then the whole story comes to mind you know not saying that that story is going to be one that gets written but that's how I get a spark of inspiration you know I never try to you know Think up a character. I like for my characters to come to me. You know, I like to be surprised and then see where it goes. And if it goes mm-hmm. somewhere, awesome. If not, okay, there's another few pages in a notebook on my shelf <laughs> that I can go back to, you know, however long from now and enjoy for myself.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, given, given your process, I mean, how many notebooks are we talking about sitting on that shelf there?
1: Okay, well, my mom has a ton of notebooks in her attic and I've uh-huh. been in this apartment for 2 years and there's already about 13 or 14. I still do it. Like, and I I have a bin under my bed full of notebooks with random thoughts and random ideas in it. It's just something I do. I carry one in my bag everywhere I go just in case or I'll make notes on my phone and come home and write them in my notebook. <laughs> my friends, I'm always like oh, man, you said that, I'll type it on my phone and save it for later so that I can put it in my notebook because <laughs> this might be a great story. And it's just it's been what I've done. And when I was younger, the funny thing is I used to put dollars at the end of every, like, short story I wrote. And I would write a story, and when I felt like it was over, I would put a dollar in the page, close the notebook. I forgot that this was something that I used to do. <laughs> And a couple years before I moved out of my mom's apartment, I was just going through things, and I was like, okay, let me, you know, clear up some of the clutter because my mom's starting to get upset because there's (laughs) boxes and boxes of my stuff all over the place. And I started Mm -hmm. going through these notebooks, and I'm reading one of the stories, and I get to the last page, and there's a dollar there. And I'm like, oh, my God, oh, there's a dollar. And I keep going, and there's a dollar. And I keep going to the dollar. And I'm like, I completely forgot that this was something that I did. And it was like a save, I guess it was my system of saving my money and rewarding myself for writing that story. And right. I had notebooks filled with short stories and dollars. And I was very happy because I was a teenager at the time, and I was kind of broke because my mom was like, if you don't clean up this mess, I'm not giving you no more money. And I'm like, ha-ha, now I have all this money. And I read all these awesome stories that I you know, wrote as a kid.
0: So. Oh uh, no no oh no you oh no you didn't stop there without telling us how many dollars you had.
1: I uh, I don't want to tell. that. <laughs> um, I was very proud of my one hundred and twenty three dollars. There yes. you go. There you go.
0: See that, that lets people know exactly how what your output was. That's pretty cool though because you know for you for, first of all to do that I think is very I think that's creative, and then to forget you did it. And then to come back to it, um, that that had to be kind of cool for you to realize that oh that was my process, you know? Yeah.
1: Yes, uh, yes. I, I, I was like I was an odd little kid, I guess, but I am. Yeah. I benefited from it.
0: <laughs> yeah, but that's that's 120 bucks. I mean, still as a kid. I mean, you're you're talking about a teenager, right? Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. So one at a time, 120 some odd times you you finish something but now you you know you mentioned that when you go back some of them were not such great stories but at least you were keeping track of the ideas you had and i think a lot of people don't do that you know every now and then i'll i'll think of something that i think is really brilliant and i won't be in a place where i can write it down like driving you know i've already mm-hmm. run over my 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 quota of nuns standing in the middle of the street cuz i'm not paying attention <sighs> So I can't do that anymore. So I have to keep both hands on the wheel and quit, you know, trying to write things down. But I mean, I wonder how much more productive I would have been had I been as disciplined as you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> and well, I, not, I that
1: is that is discipline.
0: I, Go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: I sometimes look back and I I think like where that started and one of my uncles when I was younger he told me to always keep a notebook with me. And this was not for writing down my little short stories. It was because he said it was something that you're supposed to do as a lady so you can write down notes and you can, you know, I didn't buy into that part of it. As a lady? As a lady, I I was supposed to keep a, a a pen and a notebook in my, you know, a little notepad in my bag at all times. And I didn't really buy into it for the ladies part. I'm like, anybody need a right. note, they should have a pen and paper with them. Like <laughs> but I was like, I can keep that with me and I can write my stories and that's where it started. And I'm like I I'm like I could thank him for that, but <laughs> I probably won't.
0: <laughs> that's uh and, and you know what, I'm sitting here wondering, okay, why would a lady do that? And um I'm sure there probably would have been a story behind that had you asked him. Um, So anyway, you've got these probably, you think you're in the hundreds now of notebooks, at least between you and your mother's place?
1: I'm sure. I know quite a few of them when we did move further south. They got destroyed and thrown out because one of my cousins decided what we did and didn't need, along with I used to be a mathlete when I was younger, so there were mm-hmm. a lot of awards that I won, and he decided I didn't need. Um, <laughs> just a lot of stuff that I guess he felt like he didn't want to move, so he didn't move it. And <laughs> I was devastated when I got to the new, and I started oh, yeah. unpacking and I'm like, where's my awards, and where's this, and where's that? And it was all gone. So I think oh. over the time, I've, I've filled up, I'm sure, Hundreds of little no- note, little notepads and books, and you know my mom would keep me in supply of different notebooks. she worked in a medical uh medical office she uh, was a medical assistant, and you know they get mm-hmm. all types of free notepads and stuff Yeah, little pads, yeah oh yeah, yeah, uh-huh. she just bring them home to me
0: <laughs> that i mean that that by itself just represents a lot of creativity. And and a, and a certain amount of discipline that I'm sure a lot of people don't have, and maybe some, you know, and, and that some do. So nowadays, okay, so you're riding on the train, you're thinking about a mermaid, you grab your notebook, and then if the idea looks like it's one that, you know, that germinates, a you know, a good story out of you, Take us through what's the next step in your process. Do you kind of think about the other characters? Do you put together the background, you know, the where where the character's gonna I mean, obviously a mermaid's probably gonna live live somewhere near some water. Um but mm-hmm. but you know, when you flesh something out, um I, I'm I'm guessing w- what kind of process do you have? Do you think about do you think in terms of okay, well let me give you an example. For me, most of my writing takes place at least in in the present or the near future so i take elements of what really exists in our country in our world and then kind of build on that so it's a little bit easier than what most people do when they have to create something out of whole cloth um how how does your process work are you more likely to create something completely different than what we experience today as people or or do you borrow elements? And if you do borrow elements, where do you borrow them from?
1: Um, all of my work to date that is published is, you know, in modern times. Okay. Um And they are all, at some point in every story, they're in Chicago.
2: <laughs>
1: and I don't intend for it to be that way. It just always kind of happens. Um, and that's, that's home for me. So mm-hmm. I don't you know but i like to I like to listen to the story itself, like as it builds. I like to write it very organically and I'll marinate on the story. I don't do too much structuring when I write that first draft; I just kind of mm-hmm. let it flow out, and if it keeps flowing, then I know, okay, this is something that I want to continue doing, and when I get to about twenty five thousand words or so, that's when I feel like okay. Now I'm really starting to think about different characters and how they fit, and, but I'm still letting that that story flow naturally. I don't. Whenever I try to force something to happen, I, I, or try to sit down and outline and say this is what's going to happen, at least for like the first book in the series. I, I if it's a series book and it's the first book, I cannot, you know. Uh, structure it like that on that first draft. You know, everyone mm-hmm. knows like the first draft for me is a skeleton. It's not a full story. It's, my first draft usually comes to about 35,000 words and that's because I'm just I'm basically in my head watching it as, it as like maybe like you would watch a movie. You know what I mean? And that's just how I get that story out initially and then I kind of take a step back and kind of marinate on what has come out from that process and then i start to go back into it and okay this is my main character but what is she really about or what is he really like what's really driving him you know and then i dig in at it and i structure the story based on what i feel um that character to be or you know their true intentions throughout the story um so like with siren's call which is about is about the siren it started like I said, very like randomly. The it, when I wrote that first draft, and I went back, oh well, the beginning doesn't make any sense. Take that out, and you know, fix this up, and then and I add to it, and I take away, and that's. And people say like my my way is kind of chaotic. A lot of people I don't think could do it the way I do. A lot of people mm-hmm. couldn't write a full like <laughs> slab of work and then go back and chop it up and throw this out and pull it back together, but that's just how I work. When I try to do you know, people have given me how oh this is how I outline or this is how I plot and this is how I do this. I j it doesn't work for me because it just makes the story feel too um inorganic. If and and I feel like it it right, it becomes I don't want people to read my stuff and be like, Oh, I knew where she was going with that or you know what I mean? And I feel like when you plot you kinda take away that surprise element. You take away you know, that gotcha moment, you know what I mean? Because I want to feel when I write it, like, oh, my God, I cannot believe that. And if I don't feel that, then I don't publish it. I don't let it. I just put it in a notebook and put it away because now it's too predictable. People can tell what's going to happen because you've sat here and you plotted it out, and when you plot, to me, I'm not saying this is for everybody, but to me, plotting is, you know, structuring it and you kind of let what you've already seen and what you've already read and what you've experienced kind of take over a little bit, at least that's how it is for me. So Mm -hmm. to kind of just let it flow for me as is and, you know, see where it's going and see what these characters are doing and then go back and say, okay, this is nice, but people have to be able to read it and understand it and not be like, what is she, you know, what is she doing? So now I have like the the main message, and I have this character's um, truth uh, perspective down, and I just go back and clean it up and make it so that when people read it, <laughs> they're not reading the the ramblings of my mind. You know, it's it, you know they can read it and understand it and chromatically correct. And sometimes well, there's, there's, my editor has to. You know,
0: there's purpose. You have a beginning, a middle, and end. You've got all of the structure right. for the story.
1: Right, exactly.
0: Well, you know, that's just crazy talk compared to me. No, I'm just saying. (laughs) No, 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 I'm I'm, I'm kidding about the crazy talk part. Because, you know, as a writer for me, I always have to figure out what the ending is going to be. Because I want a very, very strong ending to every story. Because Mm -hmm. it's the one thing that people always remember. You know, it's like going Mm -hmm. to a movie. You know, it, what What do people most remember? They remember some of the action, but they definitely remember the ending. So for me, you know, my neuroses are centered around making sure that the story ends up either ironic or unexpected or misdirected. You know, I misdirected them away from what I really was doing until the very mm-hmm. last second. They, and then they, they say bad words about me. I'm like, oh, that, you know, whatever. And so, <laughs> yes. no, no, no. And And see, this is the beauty of creativity because everybody comes at it from a way that works best for them, especially people who, who who repeat, you know, people who will do write more than one thing. You know, sometimes somebody will write one thing, they figure, well, screw this, I don't want to do it anymore, or I don't have any more stories in me. But for mm-hmm. people who do this a lot, they have to develop a uh, kind of a, you know, their their own path to how to get from A to B or you know from start to end. And and yours is completely different from mine, but obviously yours is working for you. And and I'm I'm not making a judgment at all because I'm well aware that people people do things differently. You know, and then there's people out there who use a lot of these writing tools in order to um you know to to kind of keep them centered and keep them you know, in a groove. You know what I mean? Like, uh, mm-hmm. what's one someone just talked about? Oh, Scribner, Scribner, or oh, you know, yeah. other mm-hmm. kinds of tools. Um, which I don't, I don't find don't, they don't help me at all. Um, but, but like I said, everybody's process. I've heard so many different ways that people put together their stories for doing novels and mm-hmm. short stories and things like that. That it's just fascinating to me. Um, yes. And and so at, when you're in the middle of it, are you pretty excited about where you're going?
1: Yeah, I mean, I if I don't feel the excitement, I stop writing. It's very, you know, and it, it, it's frustrating for my readers. It's frustrating for my followers because I have to be in that story. I'm very, like, hippie-like, I guess, like the way I talk about my work. Like, I have to feel it. It has to be flowing through me. And... <laughs> If I'm not feeling it, I'm not writing it. So mm-hmm, like you said, mm-hmm. Scrivener and all those other pro- programs, they're nice, but they don't work for me because I can put all this in your program, but if if that is not in me, I'm not going to work on it. It's the waste. And I'm very old school when I edit. I will type it all up. Like I write it in my notebook, and my first set of revisions is when I'm typing it because when I'm typing it is when I'm really starting to go through and read what I wrote and fix it to where I feel, you know, these things need to be here, you know. And then I print it, I print it like old school, and I get my red pen, and I start to go through it and make my notes and edit it with my pen. And a lot of my author pals will say, um, "Your process is like the worst. <laughs> this is tiring. <laughs> How are you doing this?" And it's like, but it's my process. I want to feel my, I want to feel the work. I want to hold it in my hand and I want to see it and I want to, you know. I, it's nice when you you're in Google Docs or whatever, and you can see the strike through. But I actually want to write that strike through. You know I, mean? I want to sure, scribble sure. all over it and, you know, take out my aggression on that paragraph. How dare I? How dare this paragraph look like this? You know what I mean? So I enjoyed that part, and I I've tried to do the editing on screen, and it's it's I guess it's convenient to save some trees, but you know, it's just not for me.
0: No, I get that, and and you know, like my editor, um, the one who's done most of my editing, she has to edit on paper, which, and since she's mm-hmm. not listening, makes me mad as a you know what, because it's like, oh <laughs> man, now I got to type this. Sh- I mean, I have to go and do all these corrections. You know, it would be <laughs> nice if she did it in you know on on out of out of a file or something. But but I, I will say this though. Her editing has made me a better writer because I understand structure better. Um mm-hmm. and, and she even gave me she gave me a gift. She gave me the University of Chicago Manual of Style. That's like uh that's like I'm telling you, you know, it's it's like the writer's Bible. And mm-hmm. if I ever have a question and and I don't really question very much, I leave it all up to her. But I, I do look up stuff in that because I'm far from perfect. I'm I'm so far from perfect that um, if anybody looked at my real first drafts, they go, "Please, you you, you, know, you know, William, you're not seriously thinking to put this out there." So, you know, I I learn something every time she edits, but I can't do it the way you guys do it because it it offends my sensibilities about doing <laughs> double work. And and I know I know how that sounds, but and, and but that that's my process. But yours obviously is working for you, you know?
1: Yeah. And like you said, everyone has their process. And I think I grew up with my Aunt Yvette, who I love, and she used to edit my papers for school, and that's Mm -hmm. how she edited. She would, like, print it out and bring it to me. And my mom used to talk about how brutal she was. She's so brutal. She's going to she's gonna make her page bleed. And my mom hated it. She hated it. But for me, that was like, yes, like, bleed. Like, let that page bleed so I can learn and I can, you know, and, it, and I can see it changing. And for my first book, I still have all of the stages. I have the handwritten notebook. I have right. the first draft printout that I typed up, and it, it's still bleeding to this day and <laughs> like i have all of the stages and that first book i republished so i have the original publication and i have the the current one and it's just like seeing it in and seeing the change of it physically not just on a screen is just It's the best thing, and Mm -hmm. I always try to take my papers when I'm done and recycle them now, everything except the first one. But all of those printout drafts, I take them and I recycle them because I do, you know, I have a kid, and I don't want to be like the problem with the world, and I buy recycled, you know, printer paper. Well, of course, yeah, and, and, you know, right in the chat
0: room, my buddy from Kenya there is accusing me of being a tree killer. So, yeah, no, I get that. (laughs) um i, I oh, well no i do the same thing i um i i cross cut shred everything and then i mm-hmm. recycle that you know because i don't want anybody knowing how bad my my dra- drafts were but i did keep i'm like you i do keep i do keep the first draft i keep um everything digitally too mm-hmm. because i'm just assuming that the Smithsonian's going to be calling me one of these days and want yes, some of that one day <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah,
0: I even kept uh, the computer that I wrote my first three books on because I know they're going to want to put that in the Smithsonian or someplace or the Museum of Science and <laughs> Industry. Because um, of history. When, yeah, when, once I get that Pulitzer, they're going to go, well, well, William, what was your process? Well, here you go. I had a <laughs> Windows XP computer and I wrote uh, three quarters of a million words on it. So, but um, And, and that's, that's half a joke and it's not a joke. Because you know what? If they called me up and said that they wanted it, I I would say yes. the happiest. Oh, you know that that might. First of all, my ego is large anyway, which is why I have to live in such a large apartment building. Um, but <laughs> if they said that to me, there'd be you know you you all couldn't say jack to me after that. Um, right. Of course, it has not happened, and I'm I'm still at least reasonably humble. But no, I and, and you know what the other thing is. There are times when I will go back, and I'll look at the first draft of the first book, just to see hopefully, how I have grown as a writer. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I mean, you've done how many books now? Thirteen. Thirteen books. And we're doing this on Friday the 13th, so I'll try not to forget that. Yes. So when you look and at it's from a the full first mold. book, <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, that's right. It is a full <laughs> moon tonight, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yes, it is. So, I'm so in my so zone you, right
1: now, look. <laughs> are you really?
0: <laughs> are we taking you away from some valuable writing time?
1: I don't know. I'll be up tonight with my wine and my laptop. You know.
0: All right. Okay. So. Sure. Oh, and, and you know, since you live in Chicago, you know, I always tell uh, people I interview if you come to Chicago, I'll, I'll I'll take you to lunch. But I do. I would love love to. You know, one of these days, run into you, maybe sit down, talk about process and things like that, off the air, and then that way we could talk about stuff that we can't talk about on the on the air. You know, and I could use my different language. Um but but seriously, when I think about um you've got you've got thirteen books out there. When you look at the first one, do you see do you see how you were and, and that you may have evolved into a better author, a better writer from when you first started out?
1: Oh definitely. Um that first book was me really just trying to figure out voice and you know the message that I wanted to put across and it wasn't until about two years after that book came out that I realized like I said the the connection with my childhood and watching those particular films and I'm like oh my god I'm writing about these five females who are going through this stage and they're all at different stages of becoming these women that they want to be and that's exactly where I was in my life when I wrote the book you know um And I think that that really, to this day, like when I look back at that, I feel like I've grown so much. And by recognizing that I was at a point where I needed to grow and I needed to do more reflection, and I started to, you know, go to seminars and, you know, (laughs) just take online courses to help me better myself and really kind of get across what I want to say more efficiently. And to, sure. like you said, to kind of to get my voice, you know, I don't want to sound like just another writer. I want people to pick up my stuff and say, okay, this is something that Jessica wrote. And one of my friends recently was like, "Girl, I read your work, and it's like I'm sitting in a room and I'm talking to you." And I'm like, "Yes, <laughs> that's what I want. Like, I want people to feel like, okay, this is Jessica's work, you know."
0: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Well, and although, and, hang on a second, you're listening to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show. A I would say product of, a service of, a service of the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website. Um, tell your friends to check it out. There's a ton, a ton, a little ton of creative work there, and it's original work, and it's work that you're not going to see anyplace else. So log on and take a look at it. This the be, um, for those who jumped in late, obviously, this would be Friday the 13th, May 13th, 2016 edition, and we're talking to author Jessica Cage. So, anyway, um, uh, people people are, you know, they're asking online, you know, you've got 13 books out there. What, you know, when you look at raising your voice above the background noise, which essentially is just marketing, um, what, what kinds of tools, what kinds of strategies have you used so that people can find you and then go, oh, yes, I read. Jessica Cage, before, this is definitely her. This is her voice. Or Oh, I like her, so I want to read more about her. Um, what are you doing to try to get, you know, new people to discover you?
1: Um, currently, I am using a lot more of the available um, promotion sites that okay. cater to people, you know, genre-specific. Um, and that's really been working for me. Because there are sites where you can put your book up, and it just goes into a queue with a thousand other random books, and no one ever finds you. And that was one of those mistakes that I made. Um, I wouldn't call it a mistake, but it was a misguided step um, when I first started. I didn't, you know, look into marketing. And so, like I said, it wasn't until two years after publishing that first book that I really started to play the role of author. And I often say, every, you, you know, picking up a pen and writing something makes you a writer. But for me, mm-hmm. I wasn't an author until I started looking at this as a business, until I started actually trying to increase my platform and, you know, reach more readers. I feel like once you, you know, because it's so easy to publish a book right now, anybody can publish a book. You just put some words on the screen and upload it to Kindle, and it's there, you know. Um, <laughs> that's true. So I feel like everybody's a writer. Everybody's a writer. But the authors are the ones who, you know, promoting and going to events. And when it becomes something that's more than just putting words on a screen or a piece of paper, and you're uh-huh. actually reaching readers and, and talking to them and um, getting one-on-one, that's when I feel like an author, you know. Um, as far as marketing, I like I said, I – have been becoming more a part of the communities that I so care to the the people who like to read my stuff.
0: When I mm-hmm. first
1: started doing this, I was at a lot of romance conventions and it's like, why am I here? Like, I love the people, the other authors. Oh my God, they're amazing. But I don't fit into this world. You know, people walk right past my table because they're like, Ooh, vampires or Ooh, ghosts. No. And they keep walking. So I feel like as, it's good to do your research and find out where your readers are. Who's interested in what you have? You know the demographic of. You know, if I put this picture up in a Facebook ad, who should I select to see it? You know what I mean? It's very, right. it's very important to go out and get into forums. And as much as we all kind of loathe social media, it's very important right now. You have to get out there and get into the the world of your reader, and a lot of my readers are at home on their computer right now, <laughs> you know I mean? and that's how I'm reaching them. So, you know, targeting, like, specific promo sites that, like, I um, ilovevampirenovels.com, that is a very specific <laughs> demographic, you know,
2: that mm-hmm. it's te- mm-hmm.
1: telling you these are readers who love vampire novels. Like, why am I not putting my stuff on this book, you know, on this site? So it's right. like I really have had to um, kind of zone, zone in and calm down with, I'm going to sign up for everything and really start thinking, is this going to benefit me in the long run? Am I going to re- meet readers who really want to hear what I have to say? You know, And I think taking the time to do the research is very important. Like regardless of what you're doing, I feel like any endeavor you need to stop and research. And I would, I would have said, if if I could talk to myself <laughs> before I hit publish, I would say, hey, wait about a year, <laughs> do some research, get out there, let your name be known, raise your hand in a couple of groups, and then hit published. But that's not how I did it. I learned after that. But I'm glad I took the time to learn because a lot of people, they publish the first book and they sell 10 books in a year and they say, forget this. <laughs> I am done. And I literally so like 10 books that first year. That was it because I had no idea what I was doing. You know what I mean? Um,
0: no, are all your books electronic books, e-books? I have all of them e-books,
1: it? and I have paperback because I am a paperback lover because, you know, my grandmother, and she wants a copy of every book that I publish. <laughs> so they have to be available. And then I had a couple of short stories that I posted on my blog a while ago. She made me print them out and give them to her because she was like, I'm not reading it on the screen. <laughs> print it out and give it to me so I can read it. So everything Did has to mark be them up? something. <laughs> no, it, it, had I given them to my auntie, she probably would have. She would have marked
2: them up. Okay,
1: just wanted it. And yeah. she would have sent it back to me in the mail. She's in North Carolina now. She would have marked it up printed, sent it right on back to me, like, all right, do this and send it back so I can read it again.
0: <laughs> and, and you know, um, for you, well, somebody in here wants to know how you market with social media. Well, that's, I mean, I think that's pretty straightforward. I could be wrong. But, um, you know, have you used the Facebook ads in particular or not? I don't know. If I, um, I
1: used I used to use Facebook ads when they were a okay. lot simpler. They're they're a lot more complicated now, and I haven't um, really put the effort towards learning their new system because they have rules and regulations about what can and can't, and you get denied, and you have to re you know, and they have to approve your ad. It can't be too many words on a picture or whatever the case is. In the past. Facebook ads really helped myself. Um, okay. I used to do this thing where I would have a bunch of authors dump their links on an ad, and then I would hit promote. And it would be like, oh, these are all free books. Promote. And I would promote it mm-hmm. for $10. And everybody would get so many, you know, downloads, because it was right. easier then. Facebook algorithms are so different now. You're not getting as much of a reach. So I I try to um, emphasize when I talk to people who ask me about, you know, promotions and everything like that, don't rely heavily on Facebook. Facebook is but one of these, you know, countless platforms that many, you many, can be Many, many, many
0: platforms. Yeah. So
1: many, and uh, a lot of people don't. Um, realize that. It's like Facebook is the world, but it really isn't. Twitter is very good for getting followers, like, true to your work. As long as you're not going out and paying for Twitter followers, you'll naturally find the people, if you hashtag correctly, who are interested in your work. Um, Instagram Mm -hmm. is really good, you know what I mean? Um, I feel like they are um, very
0: specific
1: but I have so much more feedback on my Instagram pictures, you know, as opposed to, you know, Twitter. Um, I just, as somebody said, to look at Facebook ads again. The ads, like I never boosted my page. Right. I just would, you know, promote the ad the ad itself, the post itself. I've never boosted sure. my page. Um, <laughs> I'm definitely obviously going to take the time to get, into Facebook ads again, <laughs> but I just, when I went in I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. Um, I don't like when Facebook changes stuff. I don't think I'm the only person <laughs> who says that well, when I went from having, like, 5,000 people see a post to, like, 10. And <laughs> it was like, yeah. what? Come on. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, here, here's the thing. Uh, remember, people people often forget that social media is designed to enrich the people who own the site. Mm-hmm. And and so, yes, as an adjunct, you can you can certainly get your name out there to a certain number of people, but that's not the primary purpose of it. Um, it's it's a it's a money making endeavor right. for the people who own the site. So. I I have committed myself I think this fourth quarter for the silly season for the Christmas season I'm probably going to spend you know maybe just under $20,000 for advertising and I'm going to advertise in three places I've decided what's going to work for me mm-hmm. because, because I want my dollars to be hyper cost effective I mean type, I want them to be so targeted I want them to go exactly where they're going to give me the most bang for the buck. And and having said that, I fully realize that there are a whole lot of people out there who can't spend at least that kind of money on advertising. And so that's right. not gonna work mm-hmm. for them. But for me, if if I have the good fortune to be able to do that, then then what better place to advertise um and and you have to be smart about putting your ad together in the New York Times book section. I mean, that's mm-hmm. international. Right there, that's international, um, and and you get you get a class of people who buy anything that's advertised in the New York Times book section. So there's a certain amount of return that you can you can count on. But but you know up until up until then, I'm doing you know some of the a few of the minor things that you have. I'm not on Facebook as me because it's too easy for the police to find you. But <laughs> I've gotten some pretty good. Re- <laughs> Look, the, the reason why I do this Friday night show is I got this ankle bracelet on, you know, and uh, <laughs> um, I can't get that far from the home. But but seriously, Twitter has worked out well for me, I mean, even, even, and I'm surprised at it. I don't have that many followers, but you are absolutely right about hashtagging. I I did a couple posts and hashtag science, various science fiction um, hashtags uh some black sci-fi some um uh published sci-fi, you know, sci-fi books, you know, some very specific hashtags and actually could see responses, you know, people who were at least interested mm-hmm. in in what I did. So th- being smart about social media does does help. Um and and sometimes the price is just too perfect, you know, either a yeah. a, a friend of mine James, he he spent like uh $10 on a Facebook ad and he got, you know, a ridiculous number of people at least looked at him. And that's really what you want to do. You want to raise your visibility and hopefully mm-hmm. have people who have an affinity for what you do go, oh, this looks interesting. Let me give it a try. And then once they give it a try, if if you're a good author, you know, you could probably figure you're going to get maybe about at least uh, 20%, 25% people of people hooked immediately on you as a person. Um, and you know, almost not to the fanatic level, but almost to the fanatic level. So mm-hmm. that's that's not a bad way to go for a small amount of money. But again, the the challenge. I don't want to minimize the challenge. The challenge is difficult. You know, trying to do this to get your name to get some some notice above the background noise. Because like you said, anybody can publish a book. Is not the easiest thing in the world. So you have to be clever at mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um what, what what have you learned most from what you've done in social media? What what are the things that you would say, okay, this absolutely makes sense. This made sense at the beginning, but it didn't do me a damn bit of good. What what have you learned in having to put together your own marketing like that?
1: Um, I've learned that um connecting with readers in my own group is very beneficial. Like I do have a group on Facebook that is, it's the cage readers because my hashtag that goes with all of my stuff is cage fantasies. Um, Mm -hmm. Play on my last name, obviously. And that group, you get so much positive feedback. It it, it gives you a way to not only connect with the people who really follow your work, but those Mm -hmm. people then will go out and promote you. And help you know, and it makes you relatable. It makes you someone that they can just jump in and you know talk to. Um, the thing is, like when I um, first started, I was jumping into all these random groups, and I was okay. you know, doing those link like for like things, and you had, and then you end up with five thousand likes, and and you've liked five thousand pages, and it seemed like in the beginning, like this is ridiculous, you know what I mean, but. I feel like that, like you said, it's about visibility. And that gave me traction. And for whatever reason, I stopped doing it. At some point, I stopped being that that really big social butterfly when it came to, you know, the platform. And that was a really hard thing for me to accept that I made a mistake in falling back from that scene because it's so easy to be forgotten now. You know, the attention span is very short. So I gained a bit of traction, and then I kind of slacked off, and it's like, oh, now I have to start all over again. You know what I mean? And I think that's the, the biggest lesson I've learned from the beginning to now is to just have consistency with what I'm doing. Maybe mm-hmm. not go so – like I was always in this, you know, 24-7 social media because it was tiring. Like that's a full-time job, just doing your social media outreach, <coughs> you know, commenting right. and, and, and messaging back and forth, and then people get upset with you because you're not messaging them back quickly enough. And it's was like, this is tiring. So I had to pull it back to a point where, um, yes, I'm still social. Yes, I'm still in touch with everybody. But I am focusing like a big more like a, a a larger part of my attention on advertising, promoting and being visible without having to be on at my computer. You know what i mean like right. i want I want my name to still be somewhere <laughs> without me having to be the one to put it there, you know
0: yeah and and you know what there you know somebody mentioned about services that do things for you that that will manage your social media all of that all of that takes money and the one thing that i've found about those services is um the people who are who run those services have their own i would have to say their own business model and sometimes what they're selling is the same template or the same cookie cutter um mm-hmm. marketing plan for everybody, and and sometimes that just doesn't work. You know, someone who marketed for your books would not be the right person to market mine. You know what I mean? You're you're Correct. you're in the mm-hmm. fantasy world, and I'm in more of the hard sci-fi world. And you know, two for the most part, there's not a lot of overlap in in readers. I mean, if you look at a Venn diagram of your your readers and my readers excuse me, there's probably about a fifteen percent overlap if that. So Mm -hmm. that's you know, you you want to find someone who is capable of tailoring a plan for you if you're going to pay someone else to do it. And you're right about social media, you know, taking a lot of time. I mean that is one of the reasons why I have not I have not put William Hayashi and the Dark Side trilogy on Facebook. I'm on Facebook in a completely other identity because it's it's political. But if I were going to use that as a primary means of marketing, there is a certain amount of time that I would have to devote to it. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to do that. Um, it, and, and I get people telling me all the time, man, why aren't you on Facebook? 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 And, you know, I want to go, so when did you stop beating your wife? Um, because, you know, it, not everything is good for everybody. You know, and that's right. the other thing. Mm-hmm. You're gonna get you're gonna get advice from everyone on how best to conduct your business, but still, as a, a published author, you are an entrepreneur and you are responsible for the marketing for your business. And that's what it is as a business. It's not mm-hmm. just a book. You know, um, having 13 books out uh, when you when you look at your body of work what helps you the most in promoting an entire body of work like that are you are you uh concentrating on getting someone to read the one kind of one and trying to get them hooked so that they look for more of your work or or are you you know since they're all mostly in, they're mostly like supernatural right
2: mhm
0: yeah yeah so so you've got you've got a a solid body of work in a single genre um do you look at marketing Jessica Cage as an author more so than marketing the books that you have individually? Which which works, which is, I mean, how are you looking at your strategy?
1: Um, currently I'm doing, I'm focusing more on the brand because, like I said, I have branded as Cage Fantasies, you know. Um, so I'm building that, building my newsletter listings and, you know, my platform for that. But I still do promotions for singular books because,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know, I feel like it's it's easier for someone to take a chance on a singular book and get into that and then say, okay, now let me see what this Jessica Cage, Cage Fantasies, Readers, whatever is all about. You know what I mean? So I still will do a few promo- small promotions, nothing that's going to break the bank. Because you know, like you said, this is a business, and I can't—you know—I'm not at the twenty thousand dollar level. <laughs> oh, neither know, am I. Sin. No, no,
0: no. I'm. Um, you know, I, if if I don't get it by maybe August, yeah, I'm. I'm look I got a foolproof pr- plan for robbing a bank that'll work one time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean it's like you do what what's effective. Like I have some um some sites that I'm working with now that really cater to the genre that I write in. So, okay. I'm promoting or will be there are a few major promotions that are going to kick off at at the end of this month and run through August that is going to build my list and my visibility, my brand. You know what I mean? Um I feel like that is more important for me right now because I do have all these books out there. I do have, you know, you know this body of work that I want to share, but I really need to connect with more readers. And I found just by being a reader that receiving a newsletter that's personalized, not just a sell ad, you know, I don't want to get – Eighteen emails from you about your next book or whatever, but something that's personalized where it's like a forum, like I, you can come back to me, and you know, I that's what I want to do. I want to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. continue to, um, I want to continue to connect with readers. I think that's that's what it is all about. It's not so much about the sales right now because sales are doing good. You know what I mean? Like, right. okay, I've done that. I've gotten to a point where I'm happy with you know, a steady course of myself. Yes, of course, obviously, I want that to increase so that I can give up this day job. But (laughs) it's more important for me to be able to say I connected with a reader. You know, I I recently had an experience where I was at a book signing and a young girl who had actually read my work came up to me and was like, oh, my God, I read the first book, you know, because, you know, they list who was coming to these events. So the girl went and she read the first book. And she was so excited. And she sat down and we talked. And that's what it's for. You know, we talked about how she loves this, you know, genre. And it's so hard for her mom to, like, trust for her to read stuff. So when they read it and they were very happy and she wants to be a writer, da-da-da. And then it was so nice to connect with her. And she connected with me on through my uh, author page on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. that's what it's about to me. And I know I can't have that one-on-one conversation with every reader, but – I want my newsletter and my outreach and my platform to be like, okay, I'm more about my readers. You know, I want to connect with you guys. I don't want it to be, here's my book, buy it. Okay, I'm going to go write another one, come back. Here's my book, buy it. You know, (laughs) I really want it to be like a relationship, and that's what I'm focused on building right now.
0: Okay, and and so when you you have 50,000 sales of your next book, uh, you're going to have to change that up a little bit. You know that, right? (laughs) because <laughs> you don't want 50,000 people knocking on your no, virtual door no. going, hey,
2: let me ask you a question. <laughs>
1: no. <laughs> yes, and, I re- and you know, I've, I've, uh, I I've was recently at an event in Houston that was really, you know, great. And I was in one of the offices and she said that um, it's hard for her because, you know, she used to be very, you know, one-on-one with her readers and they don't understand, like, This is in my entire life, you know, I I can't sit on my computer responding to messages all day. I can't, you know, um, just be on Facebook, you know, liking pictures and, you know, every notification, you know, getting back to you guys. And she said that's been the hardest thing, and I'm like, "I know this is what I'm headed for. <laughs> like, I know that once it becomes a lot more busier it's 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 hard now i I will admit like it's difficult now, which is why I wanna go more towards like the blog and the newsletter route instead of um you know just going into like facebook i really i like Facebook, I appreciate it for what it is, but i wanna I don't wanna be so." social on Facebook as far as, like, me personally, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, I do want mm-hmm. to reach my readers, and I, I've been trying to focus my work in a way that I can do that without feeling like it's so draining on me, you know? And it's a very delicate balance, I think.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, that kind of begs the question, give us an idea about how many hours a week do you spend on marketing? How many hours a week do you think you spend on writing? And and then, you know, we can guess the rest of them are spent on, you know, like you said, paying the bills and, and being a person and being a mom and, you know, all of those different things that you have to be. But when, when you talk yes. in terms of, of your entrepreneurial endeavor, um, I, I call it loosely the 80-20 rule where 80% of your time is taken up doing the business of doing business. And then 20% of your time is the actual creativity, you know, doing the things that that make you, you know, to create your product. What what is it for you?
1: Um, well, I write as often as I can, just because it it like you said it's it's my place of peace. So I will be up right. at two o'clock in the morning, but uh-huh. I try to do ten hours of writing a week.
2: Ten okay. hours, because
1: I'm a quick I'm a quick writer. I can you know ten hours a, a week for me is anywhere between ten and fifteen thousand words. So that works for me. And then sure. I try, I'm not always like, successful, I try to limit my social media time to about six to eight books. I mean, eight hours a week. And that's kind of like an hour a day. And I feel like that gives me enough time to touch base with the people who I need to touch base with, to kind of see what's going on in the book world. You know what I mean? Um and get out because I feel like it's so easy to lose hours upon hours just sitting on social media. So many people wake up and the first thing they do is check what happened on social media while they were asleep, you know. So I really try to limit that. I'm not always successful. I'm not perfect at it. But I started that mm-hmm. um, around the, the December of last year was when I really was like I have to be more focused on what I'm doing with my time. Um, mm-hmm. I research – promotion sites and marketing and all of that now two hours every day where I'm reading and I'm because I feel like in, in a way I'm making up for the lost time of those two years that I wasn't doing it but I try for two hours every day to either be reading about what someone else is doing or you know and it doesn't even have to be about a promotion site I have books that I have bought from other authors, you know, and I read what they went through, what you know, and it helps me to kind of focus my uh, my strategy a bit more. It was like mm-hmm. someone mentioned branding in the chat. Branding was a thing that I was very weak on. I was so weak on my brand, and it was about two years ago that I was like, I got my hashtag cage fantasy. Somebody was like, just you have to come up with a hashtag, and that's like, and that kicked it off for me, and I just on one post put cage fantasies and it it just kind of took off my readers like oh yeah cage fantasies and they used the hashtag and then one of my readers was like yeah we're the cage readers and i was like oh i like that <laughs> that's <laughs> and pretty cool i started building the brand from there and i have the logos and all that and it's a way to get them out because i have so many people who are walking around with my t-shirts on and they send me pictures of them with the cage fantasy t-shirt and it's a thing mm-hmm. now you know what i mean So it's like I'm really focusing on branding and marketing and just learning how to really, um, like I said, focus my my work and make sure that everything I'm putting into it is going to bring me back. And, you know, everything, you're going to have hits and misses. You know, I promoted Mm -hmm. on this site one time, and I got 3,000 downloads. Yes, and then you go back with another book, and you promote, and it's not quite as successful. You know what I mean? It's a hit or miss, but it's like, I want to be putting energy where it needs to be put so that I can
0: benefit from it. Yeah. See, now I'm thinking about, you know, things that I can do, but, but everything, you know, and, and I I will be honest with everybody. I am not, I'm not as interested in promoting as many people are, at least not yet. You know, I got a, a ton of other things going on in my life every day, but, you know I, I have to think about this, and I pick you know I've picked my three places i'm gonna advertise this year i'm gonna advertise in uh analog science fiction, Asimov science fiction magazine, and uh the new york times and And as much as people think print is dead, boy, I'm telling you there are so many snobs, book snobs out there who will buy everything that's advertised in the New York Times book section just mm-hmm. because they want to be they want to have whatever whatever the New York Times says they should have because they think of that yes. as an endorsement. <laughs> so, you know, conservatively, and, and I am being conservative based upon their sales figures, based upon, you know, the outreach and things like that, you know, there's a pretty good chance that spending that money, that, that enormous obscene to me, it's obscene to me, even to me, mm-hmm. amount of money could get me 20,000 book sales. Well, that's pretty yes. significant you know? Mm-hmm. And so 20,000 book sales certainly justifies spending, you know, $18,000. You know, uh, I, yes. I get more than a buck a book, but just pumping my numbers up like that also gives me visibility. Um, mm-hmm. And and that, that's important too. You know, sometimes you have to spend money to make money. Uh, people think Absolutely. that's a cliche, but it's not a cliche. It's It's an actual truism in business. You know, it's like, uh, oh, look at that. Don't send a Morse code, please. Yeah, yeah. Don't <laughs> bite me. You know, the New York Times book section is an international publication. Okay, I agree that uh, eventually newspapers are going to go away. But until all these snobs out there quit buying it, I'm going to use it because <laughs> I like, I like, I'm like a jujitsu man. I love using people's strengths against them. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, all that aside. But but see again, it's a matter of of strategic marketing, you know. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I I do this show. A lot of people know me because I do this show. But I don't sit around talking about oh, go buy my stuff. Or you know, on Twitter, I don't. I definitely don't send out anything about books that I've already published more than maybe maybe once a month because nobody wants to keep receiving the same ad from mm-hmm. somebody you'd like you'd like for them to be a little more creative than that you know I I did poke Neil deGrasse Tyson though I got to poke him because uh we had we had an email exchange oh, a couple years ago and uh I sent him an inscribed copy of my first book and then remember just a few weeks ago when the LIGO laboratory confirmed there was such a thing as gravity waves mhm I I Uh, tweeted to Neil deGrasse Tyson that LIGO Laboratory finally catches up with scientific principles um, written about in 2001 in Discovery, blah, 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 blah. And so I got a little tweet back from him about that. But, you know, unless you can do something clever, you don't want to be screaming at the people who who are Mm -hmm. your fans the same damn thing all the time, or at least that's how I feel. Um, Yes,
1: absolutely. (laughs) And like you said, for me, I don't want to do the, kind of like what I said with my newsletter. My newsletter, I don't try to put a ton of links in it. It's like, this is what's going on with me. You know, it's more personal because readers like to be able to relate to the writer. You know, they want to, it's not. and,
0: And they feel, you know, first of all, they feel a sense of validation for their fandom because you're speaking back to them. And like this show will do for you, you know, if you link to this show, people will get to hear a two-hour interview of you about you in a way that they wouldn't have otherwise. You know what I mean? So, yes, that that personal touch is very important that you're talking about.
1: Absolutely. And um, somebody asked about the increase of sales. I just wanted to go back to that. Um, because I recently did – someone was like, how many how many book downloads have you had from, you know, the beginning to now? And I stopped tracking that at some point because it got depressing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I did correlate like, oh, when I would do a promotional, when I would do this, you know, event or whatever, did I see an increase, yes or no? But I didn't notate that increase or whatever. So, over the last couple of weeks, I've been pulling all these numbers in from all over the place and for at that two year point when I actually started to put in the work and do uh-huh. the all and be an author, my book sales increased <laughs> just i would say by three thousand times what wow. I was doing before and it was and I didn't do a ton, you know what I mean I didn't put a, a a great amount. It was just me trying at that point and not actually knowing what I was doing, but trying to mimic what I saw and kind of learn and do it and grow as I went. So, uh-huh. like I said, my first year, I sold about 10 to 15 books. You know, 10 on Amazon and then five on Nook That's
2: mm-hmm. it.
1: that first year. Yeah. And yeah. by my third year, in my third year, I had sold 10,000 books in that year alone. So nice. it's, it's very I, – I feel like if you take the time, like you said, to focus what you're doing, not just be this person who's pumping out ads and links all the time, <laughs> and mm-hmm, really, mm-hmm. you know, it all works. It all works in tandem. You can't just be the person hitting uh, the promo button because you put all the money in there. You might get some downloads, but you're not getting follow backs. You're not getting people coming back for more as much as you would if, if if you put the personal side to it. So I think it's like it's a good it's a it's a nice bond. It's a mixture of of um, you know, personal and then you know the the business side of it. Someone said, "Sell or free downloads." Um, those were a mixture of sales and free. But the very following year, I did no free ads, and I sold six thousand books. So it's kind of a balance. The free, the free downloads help to to build your. If you're a new author, like I was at the time, it really right. helps to build your free your your, your visibility. You get new, and then I had other books for them to come back for. I think if you have one book, giving it away for free is not a good idea. Because they're not going to, like, it's good if it's the first in a series of books. I feel like that's a very great strategy, especially if you feel like you have something at the end of that first book that's going to be like, oh, my God, I got to find out what happens next. You know what I mean? (laughs) You have to make them want to come back for more. Free books are really good to get you up on the ranks, but, if you don't have anything to follow back because, okay, you gave away this book for free, but how do you stay, how do you keep your rank up? How do you keep your visibility up if they have nothing else to come back for? You know, Mm -hmm. it's really good to come back for, you know, for more, but if there's nothing there and I already had everything you had for free, then, you know, what's the point?
0: Yeah, and and again, it, it, it does go back to being strategic in your efforts, you know, whether it's spending money, whether it's spending time, um, how how are you how are you you know allocating your resources, and are you doing it in a very smart way? Right, and
1: like now my my the first book that I ever wrote is perma free now on uh, Kindle, so anybody who goes to Amazon and all the other sites that book is free. And it, it's it's a tactic. It, it is. It keeps because I know like they're gonna read that first book and they gonna, they're gonna come back <laughs> and then there are three more that they can come back and buy. You know because those are not gonna sure. be free. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a strategy and it it was something that I did at a time where you know I was kind of uh, wavering on stuff and my myself was kind of starting to decrease. I'm like I don't like that, <laughs> so I made this this, this decision to put this book free, and it was a good decision because not only are they downloading that free book, but they're coming back for more, and not just of right. that series. You know, people, if they like your, like you said earlier, if they like your work, if they like your voice, then they want to see more. <laughs> they want to read more. And it, and it's not, and people, how do you get your book perma-free on Amazon? What you do is you upload it free to other sites. And then all of my readers went to Amazon and reported that it's free on this other site <laughs> and amazon yeah. does price matching right so after a while amazon is like um okay well this book can't be free over there and we charge a 99 cent for it and it takes about three weeks and then next thing you know it's partner
0: free that's pretty cool that's very cool um you know you've got 13 books out now i'm you're I'm, you're probably going to be pretty prolific in the future. Uh about how long does it take you from start to finish to get uh get started on an idea, you know, think of your character, get started on an idea until you actually have um you know the the manuscript ready for publication and it's ready you know and it's ready for download. What do you think your your work cycle is for that now, you know, now that you've got a pretty good baseline of 13 books?
1: Um it takes me about four months on average from start to finish and Mm -hmm. I think that the first month is writing is just writing um and I, I like I said I'm a pretty fast writer and as long as I'm feeling connected to the story it flows the second month is me doing my own revisions editing and everything else that third month is well I would say halfway through the second month into the third month my editor has it, and you know this process can go anywhere up to six months. You know it can take as long as it needs to take for that book.
2: Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm.
1: you know, on average, it takes me about four months to get re- to for until I feel like I have something that's ready to publish. I don't publish it at four at month four because then you have to get beta readers. You have to send out arcs, and you know you have to do all of that stuff. You get people who can go and review your work and give you feedback on it. And you know it's good to get reader feedback before you hit publish. It just, you know because these are oh, the people
2: absolutely. who enjoy your sure. work. <clears throat> yeah.
0: So. And and yeah, uh, it's a, When you talk about, uh, sorry to interrupt, but I mean you talk about being able to write for about four weeks. Um, how many books, or excuse me, how many words generally are your are your books?
1: My books are uh, around fifty five to sixty five thousand words.
0: Oh, okay. Um I
1: like something quick that people can kind of get in and out of. Um like I said, my I write well people ask me what do you write and I say I write fantasies that give you a quick relief from everyday life, you know. Something that yeah. you can get into, you can really enjoy it. It takes you away and then okay. <laughs> you know, you yeah. you get back to re- reality.
0: No, that's great. And that's like I I, think, I really like that. No, so, I mean,
1: I, I've always liked the shorter reads myself.
0: So. <laughs> yeah, and and if you can do your beginning, middle, and end, and have a cool story in between, there is nothing wrong with that that length at all. You know that for me, that's a short story. Just so that you know, mm-hmm. I don't know how to write short short stories yet. I'm getting better at it. Um, and, okay. And so, well, no, I mean that's uh, I I hate to say this, but the first book I wrote was like three hundred thirty thousand words. And fortunately, I had someone, yeah, someone took a third of that out, you know, so it ended up, still ended up being 220,000 words, but, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Uh. uh, anywho. So, um, okay, so let's look down the line. You know, you're you're fairly prolific. If we look maybe five years down the road... um, do you think you're kind of going to be in the same vein? Are you looking at any changes um, in, in the kind of output you do? You mentioned that you're looking at at least your first sci-fi story, right? hmm yes. And and do you think you're going to be, you know, over the next few years, you're going to be branching out to kind of increase the scope of the genres you write in?
1: Um. Yeah, absolutely. I know I don't want to stay in one um area too too long because then it starts to feel a little like restrictive. Mm-hmm. Um like I said my books go I do have one that's not, you know, it's it's a shorter story but it's not paranormal, it's not fantasy in and, and one, you know, um, in one genre or whatever. It's it's mystery and it's suspense and that's what I like. I want to write what I like. And, like, with the the project that's sci-fi, I like sci-fi. I love it. It's a part of who I am. It's how I grew up. So I don't want to put myself in a box, you know. I want to be able to dance and, and play with all the other things. And I have played with some, some genres that I had to put back, and that's not going to work for me, you know what I mean? Um, I think that for me, I like, I do want to do the sci-fi, but mm-hmm. I really want to get into mystery and suspense, like one of those first publications that I had that was short. But I'm really like I feel like I'm really good at that,
2: right. <laughs> and no, I'm no, having I mean, more yeah. Story,
1: I, yeah, and I'm having more storylines come to me that aren't so fantasy or paranormal. It's just everyday people. Um, so I do see myself kind of transitioning into other realms, which is why I really do want to work on building my platform and, 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 you know, spreading (laughs) my wings, so to speak, so that I can reach more more readers and not alienate the ones that I already have because I think a fear that people have when it comes to switching a genre or not switching completely, it's not like I'm going to completely walk away from fantasy, I don't think I could ever do that, but to – move to another one, you feel like, okay, well, these readers aren't going to want to read this, you know what I mean? And then I'm starting all over. And, you know, so it's, it's like that's why I'm really focusing on building me as a brand now because I do see these transitions coming for me,
2: uh-huh. and I want to yeah. be
1: able to already have that platform to stand on and to reach people who not only like what I do now but to potentially like what I am planning to do in the future.
0: Yeah, they'll follow you down a new path. Right. Um, <clears throat> plus, you know, I think we've all seen the movie *Misery* and what that woman woman did to James Conn's ankles.
1: You know, you don't
0: you really, you really don't want to piss off your readers because
1: no, not you just,
0: you just never know. I mean, people are crazy enough as it is, and <clears throat> there once you reach a certain minor level of celebrity. That is is something that you have to kind of have to keep in mind. So I don't know. Anywho, all right. So uh, and and the other thing I was going to ask you—you had mentioned that. Do you have you gone to many conventions?
1: Um, Yeah, I've been to. When I first started off, I started with a romance. It was like a a book tour, so book signing tour. And it was very geared towards the romance reader,
0: and I okay. was out
1: of place. But it was it was a good experience for me, I think, because I it helped me come out of my shell, um, so that I, you know, could get into the feel of like being invisible. And because I'm very, I want to be in my bubble. I want to write my books and sit in my corner and you know give it to you. You read it and go away. You know. <laughs> That's how I wished it worked, but that's not how it works. So I had to learn that how to be, you know, personable with readers, and how to have complete strangers come up to me and, you know, you know, and not just be there doing a performance because people can tell when you're like, this. I'm an author. Thanks, you know, nice to meet you. Like you, I, it really helped me to be um, more present and less, and you know, closed off towards other people, especially like random people coming up to a table and they're like, tell me about you. You know what I mean? Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. So, what do you Um, Yeah. Right. But as I, over the years, I've started to try to, you know, pick events that I feel are best for me. Because to go to these events, it's not cheap, (laughs) especially if it's not in your city. You know, you have to fly, you got to get a hotel, you got to. You know what I mean? Table fees and everything. So it's like if I'm going to invest this money into going to an event, it has to be more than just for the experience of it. You know what I mean? I did the experience. Now I have to focus what I'm doing. So, like, this year I have the one in Houston was amazing because there were other paranormal authors there were sci-fi authors. It was a mix. They had a collective of of different genres in one place, and you knew that the readers were going to be diverse. And the readers that were there were much more open to what they were picking up. You know, they were. I mean, it was that's the type of stuff I want to be at. And there's one coming up in August. It's called Once Upon Once Upon a Book Event. It's a signing totally fantasy-based, like, it's a grand ball. We all get to dress up like our, our favorite evil queens and stuff like that. So that's where I'm supposed to be, you know what I mean? So that's what I'm trying to do now. Um, Because being at an event and taking these pictures and being on their social uh, platform and then the readers are there and they're taking pictures and they're getting to know you and you have the meet and greets and all that – that people, if you connect with these people and they go and they talk about you, that's another form of getting yourself out there. You know what I mean? Right. That's another way of spreading your name. It's not like, oh, here's another <laughs> email news blast or ad in the paper. It's personal. And people who go and they tell their friends about you and, you know, that word of mouth is still one of the strongest forms of of getting your name out there, of, of growing your platform. So going to these events, I do go now with the idea of this is a great place for me and my books. I'll meet Mm -hmm. readers who are interested in me. I can read other authors, and there are always, you know, different vendors there who provide services for authors. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you make these connections, and it's it's not just about signing books. It's about networking. You have to look Mm -hmm. at it as more than I'm going, I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to sign books.
0: Yeah, and and then um well I you know, the dressing up thing is per- perfectly obvious. I mean who doesn't want to dress up as something? Um,
2: exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah, you know, like every Halloween I well lately I've been kinda lazy. I've been dressing as a serial killer because they look like everybody else. Um but uh. <laughs> it, it, when when you when when you look at the whole marketing aspect of it and the pressing of the flesh and the network and everything you know, I, I think that a lot of people tend to minimize just how important that can be because you don't know who you're gonna run into. You know, what if you run into that one person who has, you know, a blog or or even a, an internet radio show or something that gives you exposure to a brand new group of people, people who've never heard of you before. And and those opportunities Absolutely. come more often than not because that that's the collective where these people go and hang out. You know, they go to these events to try to see what, you know, everybody wants to break, what's the next new thing, you know, the next big thing. And if that happens to be you, you know, that's, 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 that's gold. And you don't know. And bloggers
1: are flooding those events for anybody listening who's even considering. Bloggers are your best friend and they're flooding those events. They're always there. They come with carts (laughs) ready for books, you know what I mean. They want to. They want to read. They want to review. They're hungry for your work. You just have to be there. Because if a, if the like you said, if the right blogger posts anything about you, on it's gold. You know what I mean?
0: It's, yeah, it's, and that's gold. And by and large, they paid you for the privilege when they when they bought your books. You know exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that's the coolest thing. You could get you know several tens of thousands of dollars worth of marketing. And and they paid you for the privilege. Now how how cool is that? Exactly, absolutely. And it's, um, and it's always
1: like awesome because they don't have to write about you. It's their choice, you know.
0: Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then and then if they if they pivot back and they say, hey, you know, I really liked your book. But can you give me a quote? Then you know you're in. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, did did you attend C two E two here? No, I did to- not.
1: I- did not um some of my other colleagues in the area were there I found out about it just a little too late and it wasn't something that I could work out but I'm like I have friends who work kind of behind the scenes at those events I'm like you guys gotta start giving me heads up when these things are happening (laughs) in our area and let me know like tap me on the shoulder like come on out so um hopefully they, they said there's one that's um Karen, It's like uh, Wizards or something. He says something Wizards, and they are coming back into this area in August, I think. So I'm kind of like, I'm tapping, like, let me know, like, what the dates are, because August is when I'll be going to the big, uh, the Once Upon a Books event. So I'm really hoping that those two aren't on the same weekend and I can be I there.
0: Think, yeah, I think that, is that the, the Wizards one, is that the one that they had in Schomburg?
1: Yes, yes. And he said they're coming back to the area.
0: Okay. Yeah, I, I, you know, I I have not attended these things, mostly because I don't like people. Um, But, well, I'm just being honest, you know,
2: I'm
0: that old guy, I'm that old guy chasing the kids off my lawn. Okay, that's me. It doesn't sound like me. I don't sound that old, but oh, yeah, I'm plenty old. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I also realize that there is there's is good utility in me be, you know, going to, especially the local events because, you know, local press every now and then they'll have a slow day and they'll go, oh, well, can we do a quick six-minute thing on so-and-so or something like that. So, you know, the networking, as you said, is an indispensable tool of getting your marketing your marketing groove on because, again, you don't know when, when something like that can break things loose for you. So be, being prepared and doing it is a lot better than just saying you're a crappy old man and staying home. So uh, sure. <laughs> I, I know the error of my way, so I'll try, I'll try to do better in the future. Um, and then, you know, let me ask you this. How did you find BlackScienceFictionSociety.com?
1: Um, I have a friend in the author community, community, um, her name is Drea, and when I first started trying to figure out how to – you know, increased visibility. She was one of the names that came across me and we started talking and she linked mm-hmm. me to all of these other authors and the, the site came up so many times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people were like, try this, try this, go on there, some good people in there. And I, I, I started an account and then I kind of didn't really <laughs> use the account. So in the last few months I'm like, you know what, I really want to be in, in, you know, and see what's happening in this group. And I'm in there, and I'm reading some of the stuff, and I see um, pictures and the artwork, and I'm like, oh, my God, I should have been utilizing this site (laughs) so long ago. Instead, I had an account that wasn't active. So now I'm trying to be more active and be a part of the community, and I love it, like, absolutely love it.
0: Yeah, I haven't found any place else like it In, in terms of, you know, the breadth and depth of talent um especially when you talk uh you know all, all you know black science fiction black art black fantasy black horror wow. you know it, it's it's uh and and then you throw that whole afrofuturism aspect at it and and it's a site whose time has has definitely come you know there's there's so much creativity there that people can spend quite a few hours just seeing the, the wide variety so you know I always I always try to recommend it to people so that people could uh, can can find uh, you know can find great content and new things here's the thing when you look at today's entertainment in America you know obviously we have we have comic book movies you know and that's probably the biggest money making trend in entertainment but then, when you look at smaller movies, when you look at television shows, when you look at memes, when you look at YouTube uh, video channels and things like that, there, there's not a lot of creativity out there other than, you know, you you look at urban entertainment, you look at you look at the kind of short stories we're pumping out, and and it's it's pretty remarkable because it is so different from everything else that has gone before it that I think that's one of the reasons why it's starting to catch on and getting more of a following. Um, when, you, when you write, do you, you know, speaking from the perspective of race, I know strong women are definitely, you know, on your, on your radar as far as, you know, putting together your stories. Um, how much of a, a role does race play in, in your writing?
2: Hello. Hello. I think I. Oh. Hello. Sorry. Can
1: you hear me now? <laughs> um. Yes. Yeah, sorry, just a little. I guess cell reception. But um, I have Afro-African American characters. I have some that are not, because, like I said, I don't write my characters to fit into one box. And I right. I I did run into readers who were not happy with me. You know, because they read my first series, and here it is: the, the main character is this young af- African American woman. And they come back later and read a later series where the character is, you know, the main character is Latina or okay. you know a mix of the two. Anyway, she's not all African. And it's like I get the, I see the color of my skin every day. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I understand, but I, I want to write my characters true to them. You know. As it is today, I don't really have very many Caucasian characters, and I don't have any lead Caucasian characters. That is mm-hmm. just how it happened. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not because I wrote it that way. It's that's because this is what I connect to. This is what I understand. And I don't right. want to try to write a way that I don't naturally understand because then it's, it feels forced and it feels wrong, and a reader can tell that like you don't know what you're talking about why are you writing this you know what I mean this is not naturally something that you would understand why are you writing this that's just like with the urban fiction um a lot of people well why aren't you writing this I can't write this you know when it comes to like somebody growing up in the hood yes I grew up on the south side of Chicago that's where I resided but my mother took me out of that area almost every day you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So my experience was not the same. So to go back now and try to write it, like I grew up, You know, (laughs) you know, in in a terrorist or something, and people are gonna be like, that that none of this sounds right, (laughs) and it's because it's not true to me. You know, I love writing. I'm more about the character. I love. I want people to pick up the book and connect with the character and not focus. I don't. I rarely mention race in my books.
0: You know, Mm -hmm. you
1: might be able to pick it up from their description, but I don't say, oh, he was African American or anything like that. Like, if you identify with the character, then Awesome, you know.
0: <laughs> right, right. Well, no, I mean, some people, you know, okay. I, I I write about issues of race and exclusion and things like that, and and mm-hmm. you know, obviously, race plays a factor. Um, but I'm like you, my characters are all over the map, you know. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Uh Or or at least the one, yeah. Well, yeah. So I, you know, I'm always curious about that because you know that some people have an axe to grind. Some people just write because, you know, like like uh, several authors who I've interviewed do children and young adult books, and one of the reasons mm-hmm. why they focus on on African American characters is they they want characters that look like their target readers, you know, young
2: Absolutely. young black
0: kids, and you know that that that's pretty important because there's a, there's empowerment in kids seeing those kinds of images, especially where they where they weren't. I mean, you know, I think the perfect example is having a black woman on the bridge of the Enterprise, even though the other black guy had a red shirt on and he died six minutes into the show. Um, right.
1: Absolutely.
0: Th- still, it gives it gives kids something to look at. You know. There, there's a mm-hmm. whole generation of kids that's growing up right now, who have black kids who have never been, who haven't been alive when there hasn't been a black president. You know, which is something to think about. You know, in, in terms of people being able to look around and see things that they can aspire to, and mm-hmm. and have them look like them. You know, rather than relegated to some some other. If not race, but some other class of person, so that you know that's one of the reasons why I ask. And and then what? Do you, what's the general age range that you focus on? You know, would you consider any of your books to be young adult or even for teenagers?
1: Yeah, my first series is strictly young adult. Like I said, because it takes you through growing up and, and becoming a woman, and like a, it's very focused on these five young women. Uh, right. You know, teenage women, actually, they are teenagers when this story starts, and they have to figure out how to be – and I think, like like you said, you the message for, you know, you want someone to look at this book and identify with it. I wanted – and I, it wasn't something that was totally conscious when I first wrote it, but through writing the, you know, second and third books, I really wanted young women to pick up this book and be able to say – oh, my God, here you have all these different women. They're all amazing in their own right, but they have so much that they need to do. They have to go through so much to get to these points where they're like, I am who I am. You know, they feel strong and they have, you know, the strength. And that was more important to me because I have younger female cousins who, you know, they were lost. (laughs) And I'm like, this is how I feel. And I I wanted to give them something. And I gave those books to them and I said, read this. And they would come back to me and they would talk to me about what they read in those pages. And that, I think, is what really inspired me to, you know, continue writing that series, to see them come back and say, oh, my God, she's going through so much, and that's how I – like, she said this on this page, and sometimes I feel like that. And it was like, yes, sometimes all women feel like that, you know what I mean? It gives you something to connect with. And I think a lot of young women – you know, sadly, don't have someone who they can talk to or who they can identify with to help them through those times. So, if anybody mm. can pick up my book and get
0: that from it, it's, you know, it's awesome. Man, well, I, you know, we're, we've run out of time, and I want to thank you for being here. And and you know, this this you know the the fact that well, it was a great interview because there was so much that you gave, and there's so much information about not only what you did but how you did it and why your process turned out the way that it did. So I want to thank you for being here. And like I said, you know, one of these days we're going to run into each other or you know, maybe we'll meet at a con or something or even like I said, uh I'll I'll buy you lunch someplace next time you're in town. Give me give me some time and uh uh, I'll try to make sure that I can get some dispensation from the uh the, the whole ankle bracelet situation um, <laughs> okay but it it was a pleasure meeting you and, and it's nice to have uh someone from around home being on on the show because uh you know even though I'm excited when I see people everywhere else and and people from you know from Kenya even show up in the chat room um it's it's been great. I even interviewed somebody in the island. So this was great, and, and thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time because it's been great um, for me. You know, you made it very, very easy for me. And, you know, if Jarvis is listening um, and, and he, he takes himself off mute, we can have him wish everybody a good night and uh, we can get the hell off the phone. And also, <laughs> oh, Kenya. Yeah, Kenya here. And then uh, the other thing is state, Stay on the line after he closes out the show in case anybody has any last minute questions for you, okay?
1: Okay, awesome. Thank you so much for having All right. me.
0: Oh, it, w- it
3: was a pleasure. Jarvis? Hey, what's going on, people? Um, I want to thank everybody remotely uh, involved in this project tonight. I've learned so much. I'm sitting here taking notes.
2: you <laughs> school <laughs> me on
3: things in terms of marketing and branding and things of that nature because that's something I'm really – Interested in, and I'm glad that you're thinking along those lines um and sharing what you experienced' cause it's that's one of the biggest things when you when you're a creator um nobody can support you if they don't know you exist, and so um getting the word out by marketing and promoting branding and things of that nature is of the utmost importance and thank you again, will, for making it entertaining um <laughs> I'm sitting here, I'm just enjoying myself and listening. I mean, really mean that the two hours that went by was so fast, it felt like about 30, 45 minutes. And I'm looking up like, oh, man, it's about to be over. For <laughs> yeah, It's a really, really great show. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening, for sharing. And continue to come on the site and share what you're doing. And let's just make it a uh, not one-to-one thing, but more of a real community where we share information with each other we promote each other and that's how we've been able to um survive over the last 8 years. I've um as a quick example, over the last 8 years I've seen about 20 sites that are similar come and go because they weren't community based. They're based around an individual or a clique of people here and there. But you have a full community people are contributing and sharing information and buying and supporting each other. That's how we move forward. So thank you, everybody, for uh, supporting us, and we'll continue to support you. All right, then
0: spirit. and uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, once again, thank you, Jessica. We were listening to Jessica uh, Cage as a special guest tonight. Uh, tune in next Friday night. We'll have another new exciting guest, and uh, I hope everybody has a great week ahead.
3: All right. Thanks, everybody.
0: All right. Good night, Jessica.